If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope you do, uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. Actually, we're going to be uh, several different places, but primarily in the book of Galatians this morning, starting in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, in a message that I'm entitling, Back to Grace. Uh, a message that we're calling, Back to Grace. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you've really made a mess of things? Let me back up a little bit. Have you ever really made a mess of things? That should be the biggest amen I've ever gotten at this church, right? So what do we do when we've really messed things up, when you've blown it badly? Maybe it's a time that you've berated your children inappropriately. Maybe there's a time that you've lied to your spouse Maybe it's a time that you've alienated a colleague or or a classmate. Or or maybe you've driven a wedge between yourself and a family member. But what do you do when you've really messed up? Where do we go when we've been insensitive and thoughtless and, and really downright obnoxious? What do you do? How do we respond when we've drifted away from the faith? When we're no longer as close to God as we once were? when we've compromised the gospel or or turned our back on God. This morning, we're going to study the first few verses of Paul's letter to the church in Galatia and give some thought to this. But we're going to read the first five verses of Galatians, but can I encourage you? Galatians is a fairly short book. It can be read this week. Just take a chapter a day. If you don't already have a regular Bible reading, read through the book of Galatians this week. And maybe apply some of what we hear in the message to what you read going forward. Let's read together just Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, Paul, an apostle, not through through men, nor through uh, Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me start by by sharing a story, not from Galatia, but from elsewhere in Scripture, of a young man who really messed up, ruined his life. He gathered all of his possessions, everything that he would have inherited from his father, and he took off running as far away as he could. And he blew all of his wealth on fortune and self-indulgences. Eventually, this young man runs out of money. In doing so, he also runs out of friends, and a severe famine strikes Of course, many of you know this story. Maybe you learned it in Bible school or in Sunday school class. And if you're not familiar with it from church, you may have just heard of the prodigal son. Can we take just a minute, and while we're going to be mostly in Galatians this morning, can can we just read through a little bit of the story of the prodigal son and ask yourself the question, have I ever done what this young man is doing? Look at me in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 16. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Have you ever been there in life? I'm just going to pack my bags, and I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to abandon what I know is right, and I'm going to take off on a journey that I think is best for me. Sometimes it's, it's a big ordeal, like with the prodigal son, where we make a big scene, and we kick, and we scream, and we shout, and, and we're just done with things. And other times it's, it's a subtle exit, right? Other times it's, it's not even something that we intentionally think about, but instead it's, it's more of a process of deciding we know what's best. And so step by step, we make decisions based on what we want and what we desire, and we leave God out of the equation. When that happens in the life of a Christian, in the life of a believer, we inevitably find ourselves where the prodigal son is. Alone, with nothing, feeding pigs, in the slop of life, longing for a return to what we once had. When we hit rock bottom and we're, we're confronted with our sin, typically we don't want to confess. Instead, we try to hide. Now, this is nothing new for anybody. This happened all the way back in the beginning. If you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, when they initially sinned, what was their first reaction to the realization that they sinned? They hid, right? I want to get as far away from this as possible. I know I did something wrong, but I don't want to face it. I know I need something better, but I don't want anyone to know the mess that I'm in. As Paul writes this letter to the book of Galatia, uh, to, to the church in Galatia, as he's writing this book, I'm sure the, the Galatian church is reading it and they're confronted with sin and they want to hide. They don't want to hear Paul's words. They don't want to be convicted. They don't want to come back. They want to continue in their slop. The Apostle Paul has a few things to say to them. He's not necessarily speechless throughout the letter. He confronts them fairly boldly. Now let's look at a few places and look at the problem in the church in Galatia. In verse 6 of chapter 1, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. We start to see their problem and their sin. They're quickly abandoning their Christian faith and turning to someone else's false gospel. Paul gets a little stronger in chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, he says in chapter 3, verse 1, who has bewitched you? He calls them foolish and idiotic. He says that they're under a spell. They're bewitched. Then Paul expresses this, this feeling of hopelessness for his own ministry because of this in chapter 4. He says in chapter 4, verse 11, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Their sin was so great that Paul says, I think I wasted my time there. I invested all this time in you as a church and in nurturing, and now it feels like it's all being thrown away. And finally, Paul uses the strongest words in chapter 5, verse 4, when he says, you're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. These are pretty strong words from Paul. And the people of Galatia, 
are in a lot of trouble. But notice Paul's heart for them. He has no desire to condemn them. Instead, he's brokenhearted. You can almost hear him weeping when he says, I feel like all that I invested is in vain. You can hear the sadness in his voice as he confronts their sin and and he's begging them, would you just return to grace? Notice that Paul is not writing to all the other churches. We don't read in, in, for instance, the book of Ephesians, the problem with Galatia. We don't see that he's out there condemning them to everyone. He's writing directly to the matter. He doesn't vent his frustration to them. He doesn't log on to Facebook and start talking bad about them, right? He doesn't tweet their crime in 140 characters for the whole world to see. Paul is brokenhearted, and he wants to bring them back where they once were. He wants to take them back to where it all began. He wants to bring them back to grace. That's why in the introduction to this letter, as well as the introduction to most of Paul's letters, he references in chapter 1, verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul looks at them and he says, you've made a mess of things. You've really messed up. But all is not lost. Go back to the beginning. Go back to that grace you once readily accepted. It's important for us to define grace this morning before we get into the the meat of what Paul is telling the, the church in Galatia. Grace is best defined as a gift that is given that is not deserved. It's something that is given to us that we have no business receiving. It's grace that we receive salvation because we don't deserve salvation. So God gives it to us even though we don't earn it. Grace is when you're sitting at a a lunch table or a dinner table and the server drops everything. They fumble around and, and get your meal wrong and they mess up and at the end of the service, you still leave them a hefty 15 to 20% tip. Not because they've earned it, but because you want to invest in their livelihood. That's grace, right? Grace is when, when our children are rebellious and obnoxious all day long and we're just wanting to pull, if we have hair, pull our hair out, right? But at the end of the day, you want to spend some time and so you pack them up and you take them to Dairy Queen or you, you go get some frozen yogurt and you, you take them out and spend some time with them. It, not that they've earned it or deserved it, but because you care about them and it's Grace. Grace is when we run from God and we rebel against Him. We fight tooth and nail and and don't want to have anything to do with His his goodness and His work in our life. And yet, Jesus Christ dies for our sins anyways and offers us this free gift of salvation. We've not deserved it, but it's grace. Paul says, go back to that. Before you were trying to do all these things and earning everything, before you were trying to to win your approval before God, go back to that moment where you realize God gives you a free gift that you did not earn and you did not deserve. This is the gospel that Paul had preached during his time in Galatia. God's free gift of salvation. But sadly, the Galatians had lost all confidence in that gospel. And were running away and abandoning it. They were throwing grace away. Here's what happened in Galatia. In case you're wondering, why is Paul writing such harsh words to them? Paul converted many in this this town, in this province. And they came 
under this idea that salvation was a free gift of God. Paul had preached this gospel faithfully, but there were many others who came behind Paul and started to discredit Paul's apostleship. They came behind and they said, does Paul really have the authority to tell you about grace? Does Paul really have the right to tell you about Jesus? Is Paul really a a strong enough believer that you can believe what he says? Maybe Paul had it wrong. These people come behind and they start adding to the gospel. They say, no, Paul's idea of grace is wrong. Instead, there's a specific work you have to do in order to be a Christian. The, the Bible calls them Judaizers. That is, people who want to take Christians and make them Jewish Christians. Specifically, they wanted all of the men to be circumcised. Now, our children are in children's church, but I'm still not going to go into that process. If you're confused on what circumcision is, it's an extremely painful thing for men. And yes, only men can endure circumcision. And they were trying to say, because the Jewish people had to be circumcised... All of you new Greek people who have never been circumcised, to have faith in Christ, you have to do this work. You have to prove yourself true as a Christian. And they started teaching a works-based salvation. You need to do something to receive salvation. By the way, this is the opposite of grace, isn't it? Grace says you do nothing, you've done nothing, and I give it to you anyways. The Judaizers say, if you do this one thing, that will earn you a place in God's kingdom. Many, many, many people were under this illusion. And as Paul was traveling on another missionary journey, they, they started doubting that gospel of grace and started relying on what these Judaizers were teaching. And as a result, many of these new Christians were confused. And they began to question whether Paul had told them the whole story. Maybe Paul left something out. Many of them fully committed to Judaism and committed to circumcision, but sadly, what we find is that many of them questioned faith in God altogether and left or were in the process of leaving the church. Some of us find ourselves in a very similar situation. We've embraced the gospel. We've wanted to dive into putting our faith and trust in Christ, but it turns out living the Christian life isn't all that we expected. All of a sudden, we weren't rich like we thought we would be. All of a sudden, our problems didn't fall away. We still have struggles. But what we find is is that people, even though they're Christian, aren't perfect. And while, while we know they're loving, they certainly have times of not being so loving. Many people wrestle with, with buyer's remorse. Maybe I've bitten off more than I can chew. Maybe this Christian life isn't all that it's cracked up to be. So Paul points them to what they know can be true. In a place of confusion, in a time where things seem to be scattered, Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 1, to go back to the Word of God. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul starts off by making something very clear. His gospel was legitimate. What he taught was true. And the reason why it was true is because it was not his own words, but the words of God. Paul says, this isn't my word against the Judaizers' word. This is God's word against the word of the Judaizers. God's word is 
true. As we start to wrestle with our doubts and our fears, and we start to to question whether or not we're doing things right, whether this Christian life is what we're meant to be, we need to go back to what we know is true. We need to go back to the Word of God. Paul doesn't want to take credit for the gospel. The, The legitimacy of the gospel is not rooted in what Paul said. It's rooted in God's Word from his mouth. So at this time, Paul is saying, I need you to listen to God's word. And the tricky thing for him is there is no written New Testament. But we realize Paul is writing the New Testament, right? He's writing letters, maybe unaware that one day it would be recorded as God's very words through him. But there is no place for him to say, turn to Galatians chapter 1. Instead, he's writing a letter saying, God spoke to me. We remember in the book of Acts where, where Jesus Christ appears to Paul miraculously and tells him, you are to be my missionary and say these words. You are to proclaim grace. Paul heard it directly from the mouth of God. And he records it for us. How much more powerful is our knowing that we have the word of God in our hands? We don't have to trust a human being who heard it from God. God gives it to us in front of us. How much more confidence do we have in God's word because we can hold it. We can flip through the pages. We can read it. To show that his message didn't originate from himself, he continues in verse 2. Paul says he writes not just with his own authority, but with all the brothers who are with me. Paul says, listen, it's not just me, a lone wolf, speaking this to you. This is God's very word, and these people have heard it and speak it as well. There are brothers and sisters in Christ whose testimony remind us of the truth of God's word. Paul's gospel was true because God's word is true. We have six core beliefs at our church. If you go to our website, you can read on our core beliefs. 18 articles of of doctrine and they're very detailed we've kind of summed them up with six core beliefs and the first one is this the bible is the word of god from his mouth to us the bible is the word of god grace is enough apart from circumcision or apart from any work you'll add to it and how do we know this Because God's word says that grace is enough. All throughout scripture, God is teaching on grace. We referenced the Garden of Eden earlier. Adam and Eve sin and they hide and God finds them and he speaks to them. And while they are deserving of death, God gives them something they don't deserve. He clothes them. He covers their nakedness. He protects them from from eating from the tree that would give them eternal life to be stuck in their sin. He banishes them from the garden, not as an act of punishment merely, but also as a sign of grace to protect them. All throughout the Old Testament, we see God over and over again with, with Noah saving him from the flood. Not because Noah was more worthy than anyone else, but because God gives a gift of grace. But we see through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and the nation of Israel and and as they grow and have kings like like David and Solomon, we see God over and over showing grace to the people. 
then we see all through Scripture, even in the New Testament, a continuation that God wants to give us grace. His true word screams to us, salvation is a gift, not something to work for. That's why Paul writes earlier in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, through the encouragement of Scriptures, we might have hope. Every time we make a mess of things, every time we do a work in and of ourselves, every time we we rebel against God's simple gospel, we must go back to grace by going back to the Word of God. Again, our tendency is to hide from God, not turn to His Word. Hebrews actually tells us that, that the Word of God discerns our hearts. As we read Scripture, it convicts us. And so when we're far from God, we don't want His Word We want to hide from his word. We don't want that correction, and we run. But when we don't want God's discernment, we don't want his conviction, we need it. We need God's word because it leads us to God's grace. If we're going to return to grace, we have to return to the word of God because God's word is true. Paul's message of the gospel is is rooted in this word. He tells that clearly to us. But what is at the heart of the gospel? What is Paul really wanting us to know? What is the agent of grace? What, what, What gives us grace? How is it that we receive this gift? What makes grace possible is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What makes grace powerful is that Jesus Christ's work on the cross is sufficient. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. That word sufficient, you you can summarize it this way. It is enough. The work on the cross is all we need. Jesus never says, repent and believe and do these things. Instead, he says, repent and believe and I'll give you new life. Jesus doesn't say, put your faith and trust in me as Savior and Lord and then be circumcised or serve the church or teach Sunday school or or do something. Instead, he says, repent and believe and I will give you life. That's why in Galatians 1, 3, and 4, Paul writes, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Paul's words don't say the gospel message is Jesus Christ and it's Jesus Christ, period. Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for us. Can I ask you, what have you tried to do to maintain or earn your salvation? What are the things in your life that you've looked at and thought, if I just did this, then God would love me more. If I just quit that, then I would receive more of God's blessing. There's certainly a truth to to trusting Christ as Lord. He wants our lives to change. He wants our actions to reflect that. But, But what we find is Scripture teaches that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that changes us, not our changing that gives us the blood of Jesus Christ. We can't earn salvation. We can't do a good work. And so when we run from Him, our works in Christ no longer condemn us. The blood of Christ covers it all. What have you done in your life to try to earn God's favor? What is it about your walk with God that you've decided you can do on your own? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ's sacrifice to be sufficient in your life? 
We find in, in verses 4 and 5 of Galatians chapter 1 that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. There's a gospel. According to the will of our God and Father, to Him be the glory forever and ever. There's a period there, but if you're reading along, you know that's not the last word in that verse. To Him be the glory forever and ever. And then Paul writes a word that we say a hundred times on a Sunday morning. Paul pens a word that, that when we hear, we forget its meaning. Paul says, to Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And this amen is not something to be glossed over. This word amen is literally Paul begging for agreement. We teased when we went to summer camp. We had one uh, very loud uh, uh, leader, youth pastor, who every time the preacher said something in a sermon, probably 50 times, he'd say, amen, or that's right. You know, we, we kind of laughed about that because it was so over the top, 50, 60 times it seemed like. Every once in a while, someone in church service, so you'll hear, right? You'll hear someone go, amen, amen. Maybe it's during worship, amen, Lord. Maybe it's after a prayer, we, we all say together, amen. Maybe it's, after, maybe it's after something we agree with in Scripture, amen. Do we know what we're saying when we say amen? What does that word mean? Literally, that word simply means, and we agree. That's right. It's exactly what God's Word teaches I encourage feedback. I love when people say amen. It kind of motivates a preacher, so feel free to keep saying it, but, but don't say it in vain. Say it when you agree. Paul writes to the church in Galatia. He says the gospel of Jesus Christ is sufficient, and he deserves the glory forever and ever, and then he begs the church in Galatia, will you agree with me in that? Amen. Our amen is not a simple phrase or a word. Our amen is actually commitment. Our amen is committal. It's not an empty phrase that we spout off. When we say we agree, it means we agree to align our lives with what God is teaching us. Our amen commits us to the Christian life. When we read Galatians chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 when we hear about the sufficiency of God's grace through the work of Christ on the cross that amen is not a tacked on word that is all of God's people proudly proclaiming we agree with the sufficiency of Christ he is enough we see a change in the prodigal son's life when he realizes that that all that he has done and tried to do on his own has failed Something changes, and he commits to go back. Look with me in Luke 15, verses 17 through 14. When he came to himself, in other words, when he realized he couldn't do it on his own, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. This is the prodigal son saying, I realize that I can't do it. The father is sufficient for me. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. You can insert there, decided to give him grace. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What he's saying is, I don't deserve any gift you would give me. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. At the moment that the prodigal son commits to returning to the father, grace is restored in his life. The son comes and says, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve. I've not earned. And the father says, you go kill the cat and fat, fattened calf. We're going to celebrate. And I'm going to give you what you've not earned. This morning, I wonder how you've wandered in your life. Are there, there are things that have gone on that, that have caused you to drift away and rebel against God's goodness to you? Maybe you've slipped away in a, a big, obnoxious, pouting statement like, like the prodigal son has, and you've said, enough, I'm living for myself. Or maybe suddenly, over time, you've just made decisions that your way is better than God's way, that you can somehow do something that will make your life better. This morning, can we just ask, can you get back to God's grace? Can we just return to the simple truth that what Jesus Christ did on the cross is enough? That God will change your life step by step, not because of what you do and the work you put in, but instead because of, of the nature of God and how He works in our hearts. This morning, can I invite you to return to the cross of Christ? Can I invite you to submit yourself to the free gift of grace? Let's pray. Father, we want to come back this morning we examine our own hearts, we find ourselves like the prodigal son. We find ourselves like the church in Galatia. We find ourselves in a, a position of, of trying to do things our own way, of making our life the best way we think it should be. Lord, we ask forgiveness. Lord, like the prodigal son, I, I pray that many of us in here would come to ourselves, come to our senses, realize that, that our work can never bring us closer to you. Lord, let us lean and trust on the work you did on the cross. Lord, for the, those of us in here right now, whether we have at times in the past come and, and prayed a prayer of forgiveness, seeking you as, as the Savior and forgiver of our sins and, and trusting you as the Lord and King of our lives, Lord, whether we've done that in the past or not, can we all examine our hearts and in this moment just confess our own sin to you. Lord, beg and plead for your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, give us a salvation that we've not earned and we don't deserve. And Lord, let it change our lives, not because of what we do, but because of what you've done. We ask this in your name. Amen.